to be able to actually let the world know this is actually me and that it's okay. And I'm not ashamed of that today. And that although scary, it's just freeing. It's, it's, it's like 40 years of pent up shame, guilt, worry, fear, just released and, you know, a sense of peace. Welcome, everyone, to another podcast episode of Learning from Sharing, a series of voices on diversity, a podcast dedicated to sharing voices around Indigenous knowledges, LGBTQ2 plus knowledges, inclusion, and diversity. I'm your host, Yafnel Hanadiki Akwaga. My name is Yafnel. I am from Skidigit, Haidagwai. I am the Indigenous programmer at Two Rivers Gallery, situated on the traditional unceded territory of the Tlaitli Tene, also known as Prince George, British Columbia, Canada. Jenny McCormick, pronouns she, her, a transgender woman living in northern BC, shares personal experiences and reflections that accompany coming out at the age of 47. She explores her journey of fear, acceptance, seeking transgender care in the North, family bonds, and working within the forestry industry. As a central component, Jenny emphasizes the importance of community building in transgender health. Are you ready to get started? Let's dive in. Jenny, tell us some more about you. Oh, my, my name's Jenny, and I live in northwestern British Columbia in a small town. And I'm married, and I should definitely add that I'm a transgender woman. And I'm 47 years old, and I've just come out socially. I have a very supportive wife and three children. I love all of them very dearly and um, consider myself uh, very fortunate to have the opportunity to transition later in life. It's beautiful. So how does it feel to embrace your true self at age 47? Uh, definitely it's freeing. I think that would be the word that best describes it is that it's freedom. I've just recently come out, so like literally fr uh, two days ago. So to me, having the one thing that I was never going to tell anybody about and I was so ashamed about all my life since six years old to, you know, that's my earliest memory of being bullied and shamed for, for being me, to be able to actually let the world know this is actually me and that it's okay. And I'm not ashamed of that today. And that although scary, it's just freeing. It's, it's, it's like 40 years of pent up shame, guilt, worry, fear, 
just released and you know a sense of peace that that I've never felt before I don't think like I think that would be probably the word that sums it up the most is is peace I feel peaceful today I love that yeah there's a lot of good words in there but there's also a lot of scary words in there there's peace and there's freedom but there's also things like fear as you mentioned and tell me tell me more about that fear growing up knowing that who you were being on the outside wasn't who you truly felt you should be but feeling an, an obligation whether it be social personal whatever it may be to maintain this body that you were born into for me Growing up, you know, in, in the 70s and 80s, when I was born in 73, I would say that my dysphoria wasn't so pronounced that I pushed all the buttons and screamed really loud to tell the world that I was something different than, than where my body was. So I obviously... You know, some people, I think their experience is that they're as, as a child, they're definitely, I'm different. I'm a girl. I'm a girl. I'm a girl. And they just keep saying that and saying that and saying that. And that wasn't my experience. My experience was I felt different and I didn't know why. And we didn't have language for why I felt different. I was, I was a child. I was a normal ch child. I would say um, I did child things i played i built forts i you know you hear a lot of transgender women playing with dolls and doing these things and and i think that is the case for some and and i certainly enjoyed playing with dolls things like that but it wasn't that pronounced but when it came down to wearing like my first experience was that I really, really remember was in preschool, to be honest, like four years old. And it was extremely like, I can still remember this to this day was, you know, having had a horrible accident at preschool and then having to wear underwear because there was none that was, you know, the opposite sex. And at that time, um, just something clicked feeling that, that this was right. And something that was extremely embarrassing and horrible turned into something that, you know, was memorable for me, you know, and then being at a skating show later on, you know, five, six years old and getting to wear nylons or tights as part of the skating show and then not wanting to take those off, you know, and wondering and as a child you don't even care right like I just felt right this clothing that I was wearing felt right like I felt at home at comfort and they made me feel girly and I felt girly and I wanted to be girly but I didn't have words for that it's almost a little bit hard to understand like nowadays you would look at that and, and potentially if your parent was forward thinking they would be you know, would you like to explore wearing this or what have you and, and you know, allow you to, to flow with that. But instead with those tights, I had rocks thrown at me by the neighbor and 
you know, and I learned very, very early on that being that way was dangerous. And at six years old, I was, I had a very, very good understanding that you can't act that way. So I hid and I hid for, for a long, long time, but continued that behavior. You know, it wasn't all about clothes. It was just dreaming about being in another body, you know, coming home crying because I wanted to be something that I felt like I never could and not understanding why, you know, so the whole ordeal was confusing. I would say that early, you know, growing up in a small forestry town on Vancouver Island was confusing for me. There's a lot of like influences around that, right? Which, you know, dictated how you felt about yourself. Yeah, like I, I felt a certain way, but I didn't have words for how I felt. And I felt ashamed on how I was acting. And I wasn't going to tell anybody about it. I think that would be the summary of it. And so coming out and learning about transgender and what that means, you know, there, there is still is a lot of stereotypes on, you know, what that looks like and how it manifests and, you know, what doctors and therapists look for. So, you know, I, it took me a while to figure that out, that, that this is actually who I am. And surprisingly, once I started the therapeutic process at 44 years old, how much of that I had forgotten and it started to come out, you know, like I started to unravel this mystery of why I was behaving in the way that I was behaving for so many years and, you know, being, being ashamed about it. Mm -hmm. Understanding that shame behind how you felt about the things that you liked and how you felt about yourself. Absolutely. And I think that that's the case. Like a lot of transgender folks have what's called internalized transphobia. And that was pointed out to me very early on is that you, you learn to hate yourself because of being who you are. And you're so ashamed of that, that you, have this internal conflict of being angry or being confused or being, you know, why am I acting this way? I hate it. And I think that's a huge thing for, for someone to overcome and, and such a freeing process to be able to walk through that and come out the other side and say, you know, no, this is me and it's part of me and, and how I decide to go forward with that is my own personal journey, but just recognizing that was one of the first steps of, you know, freedom before even coming out was, okay, this is okay. I'm, I'm okay. Like I'm not flawed. I'm not sick. I'm not acting perverse. I'm not acting strange. I'm okay. And, and it's a natural thing that happens to a certain percentage of the population and I can't control it. Yes. And I think that in that internal transphobia, I think that is such an important point because I think so many trans people, including myself, have felt that and still battle with that throughout their lives. But I think that's something that is so often overlooked and not talked about because, again, it touches on that shame 
that you talked about, right? That shame that we battle with in our daily lives, which affects so many different aspects. And I think that's why it's so overlooked sometimes. Absolutely. And I think, you know, my, my experience with it was, is, you know, society has these stereotypes on, you know, um, there was a, a, a documentary on Netflix recently that, that came out and just shows, you know, really how society has, you know, our media in general has created this, you know, horrible thing that transgender people are like, we're the muse, we're the, you know, dressed up as, as woman. And sometimes it's sexualized and, you know, largely laughed upon when really that's, that's not the case at all. It's a condition that you have absolutely no choice over. You can't get rid of it. And trust me, I tried to get rid of it numerous times and, and you can't, it's not going to go away. So learning to love and embrace it and live with it. And although scary because of societal thoughts of, of what could happen. And in a lot of cases, it's unsafe to be transgender. In a lot of places, it's unsafe to be transgender. So, you know, at 47 years old, to make a decision to come out as being me, once the process started, it was kind of a no-brainer and it, it had to flow and happen. But in order to get there was an enormous struggle. And walking through all of that fear. Yes, exactly. And on that topic of fear and perhaps, you know, not being safe to come out. In previous conversations, you've told me that you're a registered forest tech, correct? Correct. Have, have you come out to your coworkers and employers yet? I mean, I might be stereotyping the job or the work or the position, but I mean, in, in my opinion, in my experiences, I would almost think if I was in your position, I would feel that maybe that wouldn't be a safe place. Obviously, I don't have your experiences, but just knowing about that realm of work, I feel like that would be an extra scary layer on top of your already scary layers that you're dealing with in your personal and family life. Well, I think the biggest fear for me was, to be honest, it wasn't necessarily me. It was fear for my family, um, fear for, you know, losing my job. So obviously I worked through the fear with therapists and, and we talked about it. And a lot of the people that I, I spoke with was, you know, you need to be in the lower mainland. You need to be with people that are like you. And, you know, being in a small town in northern British Columbia is not going to be a good thing. And so that set up a whole new level of things. So this is very fresh to me. So last week I, I, I filed for a legal name and gender change. Then I came out. So it all just kind of happened last week. And what happened was I, I created a letter and basically, you know, this is to value clients. This is me. And, and I get a little bit of talk about my journey and, and what I've gone through and why this is the way it is. And, and then I came out, this is my name and this is my preferred pronouns now. And, you know, and if you have questions, I'm very approachable. And my 
you know, I guess previous to that, you know, just to step back for a second, I came out to my business partners in, in May, I believe it was. And I was completely horrified to do that. That was a really scary thing. Cause I, you know, obviously I catastrophized it. I thought, okay, well, I'm going to be losing my job here. Everything's going to go sideways. And, you know, this is going to be a horrible thing. And they embraced me. You know, they, they said, it's okay. <laughs> we support you. I don't know why I was surprised because, you know, in hindsight, I felt actually really bad that I was surprised. Like I, I, I felt that I had actually judged them and that, you know, it wasn't going to be okay. And, and it was the complete opposite experience. And then when I sent this letter off, my partner sent it for me and he sent it to about over 50 clients and coworkers. I came out to my coworkers, most of them personally, face-to-face, just because I work with them and, and respectful rather than reading a letter from me. And, you know, it was the response. Like I saw it, this is what happens. It went out, it went out at noon on, on Friday and the response was almost instantaneous. My phone started to light up. People were texting me and congratulating me for embracing who I really am. You know, and these are people that I've worked with for a long time and I have a lot of respect for, and it was surreal. the word and and then the district manager from the forest service sent me this amazing email and asked if he could share my letter with his staff and um i was not again every time i i i come out every time i i make a change every time i do something and step out into the fear i find that it's actually really not as bad as i thought it was going to be and I, and I feel really blessed today that these people, you know, I feel like they're standing with me um, and that it's okay. I think that's an amazing story of coming out, especially to your workplace. And it goes against what people were telling you of you belong somewhere in the lower mania, mainland with people like you. You know, there's always that comment of people like you. And it seems in this instance, you, you kind of proved that, that stereotype, that, that saying wrong, that trans people aren't, you know, there aren't other people like you. We're all individualized, individualistic, and we have certain places, whether it be physically, mentally, spiritually, that we all belong. And they shouldn't be dictated by what other people think based on our identity of being trans. For sure. I am who I am and I can't change that. So if it doesn't work out in the forest industry, then I'm going to do something else. Lots of other things that, that I'm good at and I'm a good communicator and I have a big heart. There's lots of really good things about myself that I know that I can give to the world and, and still hopefully do something that I enjoy and make a living at it. So one of the biggest things is to go through that fear and just say, okay, if it doesn't work out, um, I have a strong belief in a higher power and um, a creator and and that I strongly believe that if you follow your heart and you do the next right thing and you're true to yourself, then things will work out. 
and it doesn't mean that it's not going to be difficult. And it doesn't mean that my journey here forward isn't going to be difficult because there are going to be haters and there's going to be people that misgender me. And I have to expect that. But I also feel that the large majority are in my corner. And, and that means a lot to me. That's beautiful. And when you talk about taking these, you know, these next steps and this journey that you're on and whatnot, in previous conversations, you've mentioned that you are in the process of legally changing your name and gender. And what I'm curious as to what this process is like for you, because in conversations with other trans people that I've had, the processes seem very different, even sometimes when living in the same provinces. So like, how does it make you feel to be going through these necessary motions for yourself? Well, I can honestly say that I, it was again a feeling of peace and relief when I dropped that envelope in the, in the mail and sent it all off. And, and, you know, for anybody who changes their name, changing your gender was an, a letter from the doctor in, and sending your birth certificate in. So it was a little confusing at the start because you're doing both things and you'd like to do both things at once so you don't have to pay twice. So I found that a little confusing, but I phoned and I just came straight out and said, you know, somebody on the phone, I'm a transgender person. I want to change my name. I'm a little confused on how I should do this because the addresses, one says Kelowna and one says Victoria. So do I send it all in? So anyways, the phone went quiet for a couple of minutes and the lady came back, gave me all the information I needed. And, and I did the, the way she explained. So part of the process was getting fingerprinted at the police station, which of course for me was scary. I've never been fingerprinted before for one. And I understand why they have to do that. But so I went in and in, in guy mode and said, well, they asked me what your name would you like to change your name to? And, and I knew the person and they certainly didn't know that I was transgender. So it came as a surprise. So I just big smile on my face. I wrote it down and said on the paper, I wrote down I'm transgender and put my name there and her face lit up. And, and so, you know, I, the people at the police station here were incredible. They just, they ran me through the process and they showed me what needed to be done and they were super friendly. And then I had it all notarized and then I sent it off. I did not experience any kind of roadblocks or any negative anything from doing that. I found the whole process and I haven't received any of my change yet, obviously, because they're still, still in the processing phase of it. But you know, when I, hopefully it'll all go smoothly. I just have to say that people have been generally very, very helpful. And, and the Northern Gender Clinic in Prince George was the one who sent me this entire package with the instructions on how to get it going and the forms and, and everything else. So, you know, overall, I give a, an A plus to everybody involved in that process. That's great. You've definitely received what sounds like an overwhelming amount of support from, you know, your community, the police station, the gender clinic in Prince George, your colleagues, your, your work. And 
I want to know a little more about your, your close personal friends, your, your children maybe. You've received this great support from your community. And what has the support been like from your immediate community, your family, the closest people to you? I'll talk about my children first. So my son, he lives in Victoria now and he's going to college there, but he's my older son. He's 23. And he was the third person that I told about this. And I know that he's questioned his own. Uh, he's gone through his own process and, and came to be who he is. And, and, and I was really proud of him for that, you know, and so, and, and he, he did experience a fair bit of bullying here because of what he went through and you know, and I was, I was super proud of, of him and, and what he went through. And then he moved away to Victoria. So I felt that, you know, I could come out to him quite easily and that he would understand. And he was very, very receiving. Um, he's, he's a, you know, I'm, I'm just super proud of him all around. Cause he's just such a, he has such a huge heart and he's just a really nice person. And my, uh, younger children, my daughter had a ton of questions and she's 10 years old. So we went through all these questions and, and we watched some videos and we, you know, and, and now she wants to braid my hair and do all of these things, which is just really cool. And, and to be able to share that. And my 14 year old son was kind of just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> so it went really smooth. And the hardest transition has been for my wife to accept what's happened. And I'm not going to speak for her and I won't speak a lot, but I know that it's been extremely difficult for her. You know, the, the man that she married is no longer a man and never was a man and was too scared. And she's known... She, she caught me uh, with my stash 18 years ago, found my bag of clothes. And, and so that was something that, you know, she knew about me for a very, very long time. But she was also the first person to just look me straight in the eye and said, you know, I don't think that you have a cross-dressing dressing fetish. You're transgender. <laughs> you better go go start talking to some people about it. So it was actually her who really urged me to seek help and to stop denying who I am. And I'm grateful for that. You know, I'm grateful that she did that. And, and, I knew, and she knew what the cost could be if it turned out that, that you know, after going through some therapy that, that, that's the way things went. So mm -hmm. she knew that, you know, obviously that it could be hard for her, but she knew that what you could be going through was going to be much more harder for you. And she wanted you to find you. And I think that's beautiful. Absolutely. She, yeah, she's an amazing person. And again, I'm just blessed to, to have her and, a family that has been so supportive and not only just my, you know, my immediate family, but my relatives have just rallied behind me, which 
you know, has been so amazing. That really is amazing. And earlier you talked about receiving care from Prince George because you live in a, a fairly isolated community in Northern BC. So what has, what has that been like living in this place and receiving care elsewhere? Uh, initially, what, I was so scared to that anybody would find out about me when I first started the process. So I did my W pass. So they have a standard of care for transgender individuals. And, and that standard of care is kind of a universal standard of care. So I can't remember exactly what the acronym W pass stands for, but I believe the first word is the world. So it's kind of a standard of care that has been adopted amongst a whole bunch of countries for medical transition and what is required in order to, you know, are you of sound mind? Are you, is this real, you know, before you, and, and, and it's definitely something that is, I believe, you know, is a re, it is important and it was important for me. I'm not going to speak for other people. It is important for me to go through that process of therapy, that counseling to unravel my past, especially at my age and make sure that this is something that I really want to do. Because when you start into taking hormones and making changes to your body, some of those, many of those changes are permanent. And so I did my standards of care with a doctor in, or uh, with a therapist in Vancouver and had it sent to my doctor. And I already had that in hand when I went to my doctor and came out. So I came out to my family doctor and she just looked at me and said, you know, if I could hug you right now, I would. <laughs> and, and I was like, just floored because again, you know, stepping through that fear. And so she set me up with an endocrinologist um, and I started my hormone therapy with an endocrinologist via video conference um, using a system through the doctor's office. So I would go to the doctor's office for my appointments and, and meet the endocrinologist. Um, about six months in, the endocrinologist retired. So I was without a doctor. And so the second route, if you live in Northern British Columbia, is that you go through the Northern Gender Clinic and which is located in Prince George and it had quite a wait list. So that's why I decided to go with the endocrinologist to start with. And so basically, yeah, I set up with her and, and it was a large wait, but I was already on hormones. So it was fine. I had enough to carry me through till I saw the doctor and I honestly have to say, and I don't know if she's going to listen to this, but Dr. Cosio has been like an angel. She has helped me in, in so immensely and she listens and she cares in a way that um, she, she's just listening and, and just so caring and she's just an amazing person. So I can't say enough about her. She actually listened. We, we had our consult, which was 90 minutes and I can honestly say that I've never had a doctor sit and listen to what I had to say. And I listened to what she had to say and we came up with a plan and, you know, it was amazing. So 
Um, I can't say enough. We did our first couple over Skype and through special medical Skype that they have. And then, uh, you know, we've been meeting over phone, which has been fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dr. Cosio is also my my gender doctor as well. And I can only echo the comments that, that, you're, that you're sharing. She really is very special, in my opinion, to the transgender community in the North. She is really one of the leading people who is opening this doorway for so many trans people to find their way and allowing them to feel like they're in charge of what they're doing. They're still in charge of their bodies, and she's going to help you get to where you want to be. And throughout your conversation, our conversation thus far, you you keep emphasizing community building, friendships, relationships, whether it be with, as I mentioned, your coworkers, your family, the, the police station, the transgender clinic here in Prince George, Dr. Cozio. And in my opinion, I'm almost getting that you see these relationships as a central component in transgender health. Can you tell me more about relationships and community and the importance of that within transgender health? I think that it's kind of like, put it this way, like if you, if you're with somebody on a ship, maybe say a ferry and you, there's a whole pile of people and no one really knows each other. And all of a sudden the ferry hits, hits a rock and puts a hole or hits a log or whatever. And the boat starts to sink. All of a sudden, everybody is, you know, in that dire situation where, you know, or, or in a unique circumstance where they're trying to help each other out. They're trying to, to you know, they're, they're trying to survive a sinking ship. And I'm not saying that this, the, the ship is sinking, but, you know, they're all in the same boat. And you have that understanding of, taking people from different backgrounds and putting them all into the same situation. And then there's that common bond that happens. Part of my experience, part of my response growing up to internalized transphobia and not just feeling like I fit in anywhere in the world and not understanding why was to use alcohol and and drugs for and I'll just talk a little bit briefly on this to, to cope and, and that quickly became a problem for me. And so I, I entered into recovery at an early age. Well, not early, but you know, twenties, mid twenties and, you know, and started on that path of, of recovery. And it was the same sort of thing. It's, it's a powerful bond that you have with people who are trying to better themselves and trying to, you know, you sent, you, you form that community. And I think a lot of, a lot of people um, and, and different organizations have that kind of same common bond, but you know, when it, when it's addiction or when it's, transgender care or when it's transgender community or, you know, even pride, you know, we have that commonality and, and we get together to celebrate that. And I think that's something that is really important, but we don't know, we, we, we celebrate it, but we also encourage and help each other. And I think that's the biggest thing. And, and to have a community around you that supportive is, is a really important thing. And 
I've met a group of people that I meet with on Zoom uh, weekly to that we talk about, you know, addiction issues. And we also talk about our transgender um, experiences. And there's that commonality there that, you know, we get together and we get to talk about things that are, you know, other people just wouldn't get. And there's so much power in that. There just, there just is. And I think that's just such an important thing to have that support there in the community and to have that. I think, I honestly think that that's where I would like to be able to, to start to focus a little more on with the future now that I've come out and now that it's not such a big secret is to be able to give back in that way and to be able to say, you know, hey, you're not screwed up. You, you're okay who you really are and you just you just need to learn to understand and to love yourself and and you know you're not crazy you know to be able to hold that hand out and it, it makes a huge difference and then we pass that on and we support and and you also get that spiritual uplift by helping somebody else and to be of service um, of somebody else definitely I, I, that, that really resonates with me and the importance of community. And lastly, I want, I want to ask, in your opinion, what are things allies can do in regard to trans care and trans community and trans knowledge, LGBTQ2 plus knowledge in general in, in our province, in Northern BC specifically? The world is changing. You know, I, I would say one of the big things is, is the internet can be a, a horrible place and social media can be a horrible place where you have a minority of people that can that can be really loud and say things that are inappropriate and harmful and i think that's one of my biggest things is to be to be an ally is to stand up against that and if you hear someone you know saying something that's not true like i think a lot of people you know when you hear not naive to it at all. Like you hear people get misgendered on purpose because he's a she or, you know, all of these different stereotypes that are out there or they all just call you he because they don't believe that there's such a thing and, and whatnot is to just stand up and, and, you know, say, Hey, that's inappropriate. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that you can be discriminatory and, and, and hateful. You know, um, you're harming this person by your actions. And, you know, we are a minority. I think there's more or less hiding than, you know, because they're scared like I was. Um, I, well, I know there is. And, you know, I, I think just to stand up for that and to, you know, support pride, to support, you know, it's like Black Lives Matter, right? It's like people, you hear the, the argument that it's all lives matter. Well, yeah, of course all lives matter. But when it's Black Lives Matter, it's like not everybody's house is burning down. And people of, people of color have had their house burning down for a long time. And, and the importance definitely should be there, right? And it's the same with our community, you know? Black trans women are probably the most discriminated against group of individuals in on the planet. They're 
the average, I read a stat that, you know, most black trans women don't live to be 35 years old or something like it, it's, it's unbelievable the amount of, of misunderstanding, discrimination and hatred that happens and violence. So if, if anything, you know, we're just trying to be ourselves, you know, with a condition that, that can't be changed. And, and to be completely honest, it's a beautiful thing. And to just, you know, when you hear that hate or that thing, just stand up and, and, and say, that's not right, you know, and, and support pride. That being said, you know, and I know you and I talked about it a little bit prior to um, this podcast. It, it, I think quite often it is a loud minority that, that acts like that. Uh, and I certainly hope to think that that's the way it is. And, you know, we're never going to shut that down completely, but we can certainly stand up and, and, you know, be supportive. Yes, that's, that's great. How, uh, thank you, Jenny, for sharing your knowledge and your stories and being so vulnerable and open. It's so greatly appreciated. And I can speak on behalf of a lot of people, I'm sure, and say that your words are, are going to travel far and they're going to be important in the upcoming years of <laughs> transgender health, knowledge, and education. So Hawa, thank you again. Thank you. And thank you for doing what you do. And I was honored that you asked me to be part of this. Learning from Sharing, a series of voices on diversity, is produced by Two Rivers Gallery. Intro and outro music are composed by Kevin McLeod. And the amazing woman we had the privilege of listening to today is Jenny McCormick. To keep up to date on Two Rivers Gallery, our exhibitions and programs, follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Learning from Sharing is available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Hawa Oadlachan, thank you everyone for tuning in. We hope to see you next time.